0: I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28. The text for our sermon is going to come from Colossians, one of the letters of the Apostle Paul, but I want to first read Matthew 28, uh, Matthew's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for Matthew, it's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and so you should be able to find it, and it's the last chapter of Matthew. Matthew. I'll begin reading at verse 1. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Listen carefully. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, the tomb where Jesus had been laid, of course. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. following Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. And again, our focus is going to be on verse 18, but again, for some more context, I'm going to begin reading at verse 13 and read through verse 20. In many ways, the apostles, as they are writing to the churches, including this letter to the Colossians, a church gathered in Colossae, whether to the Romans or to the Philippians or the Thessalonians, wherever they're writing, They're writing in order that they might explain and apply the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the churches. Um, A true Easter sermon in one sense would be to exposit the entire New Testament, which we won't be doing uh, today, just focusing on a single verse. Uh, But really, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has come to define the, the life of God's people and has not only come to define the life of God's people in a private sense, but really has come to bear upon the whole world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is of such magnitude that none is left unaffected. All of us here are related to the risen Christ, either opposed to him, continuing in the domain of darkness as Paul talks about here, or those who have humbled themselves before him, turned from our sins, believed upon him, and found him to be a gracious king, a wonderful savior, who brings us into the eternal life that he has won for us. None is unaffected. None is indifferent to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the entire New Testament is the apostles themselves, the apostles of the risen Christ, going out and delivering the message that the risen Christ has given to them, applying what all of that means to his church. And so We won't be able to draw every implication out, and so you're invited next Sunday uh, as well uh, to hear more and more every Sunday as we draw out the implications of what it means to be united by faith to the risen, never-to-die-again Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, we'll only draw out some basic things today, but there is so much more and so much more glory that we could draw out here. But we'll begin reading Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, our focus is going to be on verse 18. I'll read that one more time. It says there, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So far from God's holy word. Let's ask that he might bless his word to us in prayer. Father, as we think over these words and as we listen to what Christ would say to us from these words penned by the Apostle Paul, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, even eyes to see, the preeminence and the glory of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead. And Father, may we feel and know and experience the magnitude of that confession that there is one who has been born from the dead and one who has come to new life, never to die again. Father, the magnitude of that is staggering and beyond our comprehension. And so we pray that your spirit would be at work among us, helping us to understand the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that we then, as we understand it, might turn in faith to look to him who is alive forevermore. And though he is out of sight, veiled in heaven, yet we know that he is living, and that he is the one who speaks to us even today. And so, Father, may he speak, for your servants here are listening. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Brothers, sisters, friends, many of us know uh, the game, children's game, follow the leader. And uh, the children here, I'm sure, are familiar with it as well. Somebody's designated the leader, and, and you as one who is to follow them, are to imitate all of their actions, where the leader goes, you go. Where the leader does, you do. And in many ways, that's a children's game that for many of us is, is long gone. Uh, but in another sense, none of us have really ever stopped playing that game, no matter how old you are. The way God has designed us, the way God has created us, is that we're all following something, and we're all following someone. We're all playing the game, follow the leader. As God has created us, our lives are moving in a certain direction. I mean, we experience this every single day. We exist in the limits of space and time. Our bodies move, time passes by, and our lives are headed somewhere. And the question that you need to ask yourself today, as we think upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we'll tie it together, but the question you need to ask yourself today is, who am I following? Who am I following? And the Bible makes it very clear that you're either moving in one of two directions, ultimately. Either you're moving in the direction that, that Paul speaks of here as the domain of darkness in verse 13. There he speaks of those who are captured within the domain of darkness, under the grip and the power of death. And the end of, for those who follow after that is, of course, the end result of death itself. Destruction away from the Lord. And so either we are following the ways of this world, the domain of darkness, or we are following the Christ, the Savior that God has sent into this world. There's no alter, ulterior uh, paths or directions that your lives could be moving in. It's one or the other, following yourself, this world, unto death, or following the Savior whom God has given and sent into this world. Either you belong to the domain of darkness or to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You might ask yourself the question, well, what's so important about the forgiveness of sins? Why is that the thing that Paul highlights regarding the kingdom that Christ leads us into? Well, earlier in God's word, we read that the wages of sin is death. Death is not natural to our creation. And there's a reason we hate death. And there's a reason death causes us great fear and causes us great pain, whether of heart or mind or whatever it might be. Death is not natural, but death is the wages of sin. And Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that when Adam sinned, the first parents, Adam and Eve, that through their sin, death entered into this world, set up shop, and his reign has 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 not been able to be broken. We all lived under the power of death, which is why our lives break down. Things break down. You leave something... To itself and it breaks down. Nothing simply comes together and builds itself up, whether it's in your work, uh, workplace or it's at home. Your house doesn't, doesn't miraculously get better over time if you leave it alone. Things decay and break down. It's a natural thing of living under the darkness of death itself. And so when Paul proclaims that there is the kingdom of God's beloved son in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins, he's saying there is a kingdom in which the power of death has been broken. He's saying the wages of sin is death. The forgiveness of sins is eternal life in the kingdom of God's beloved son. And so what God's word encourages, urges you to do today is not to follow this world, but rather to follow his son and into his kingdom where there is eternal life. And so as we think about what it means then to follow his son, whom Paul says is the firstborn from the dead, we want to think about it under three points. First, we want to think about believing in the firstborn from the dead. Secondly, we want to think about belonging to the firstborn from the dead and then I finally want to think about benefiting from the firstborn from the dead so believing belonging and benefiting from Christ who is the firstborn from the dead so first, what does it mean to believe in Christ, the firstborn from the dead? Throughout the scriptures, we know that in order that we might be saved, that we might enter into that kingdom, it's not a matter of bringing something to God, of offering before him a certain amount of good works that we've accomplished, a certain amount of anything that we've maybe accumulated in this life that we can bring before God to say that we deserve entrance into the kingdom of your beloved son. Scriptures speak of the gates of that kingdom as glorious gates of righteousness. And they bar all from entering who do not have righteousness of their own to come in. And so left to ourselves, we have nothing that we can bring before the gates of the kingdom of God behind which there is eternal life and say, let me in. Open to me the gates of righteousness. We have nothing to bring. Not only are we bankrupt of anything of of positive righteousness that could win us God's uh, win us entrance, but more than that, we come before those gates with great sin, and sin is rebellion against God. How can sinners approach the glorious gates of righteousness? How can sinners be brought in to that city? The kingdom of God's beloved son. God's word preaches good news. Christ preaches good news to the world. When he says that we are to have entrance into that kingdom freely. And without payment. And without anything in our hands. But only by trusting in Christ crucified and risen. That by faith alone you are made righteous. Even Paul says to be made the righteousness of God. And therefore, believing in the firstborn from the dead is of fundamental significance for our lives. It's where it begins. So what does it mean to believe, to have faith in the firstborn from the dead? Well, first, faith is knowledge. It's it's to know what he has done. It's to hear that message that God has proclaimed through his apostles and continued to be echoed throughout the world in his church. That Christ has come to save his people from their sins. That he hung on the cross, not for his own sins or his own faults, but to bear the penalty, the sins of his people. And that on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And in rising, he entered into a new life. And just as he died for his people, so he was raised for his people. And it's to know and hear that gospel message. But it's not merely just to hear it, but then to assent to it and say that I I trust that message, I believe that message, is not myth, but it's true. The Christ has come as God had promised. He has died, he has been raised. And faith goes even deeper and says not only do I assent to that, as true but I believe it's true for me that Christ hung there for me on the cross that Christ was raised for me from the dead true faith is knowledge assent and trust in the one who is the firstborn from the dead it's to know that Jesus Christ truly God and truly man died and was raised for me That's what faith does. It grabs hold of Christ, as we're going to see in our second point. To see that when I I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am united to him. And I belong to him. All that he has, all that he's won, he graciously gives to those who are in him by faith. So believing in the firstborn from the dead, then means that I recognize, I ascend to, and I trust for myself that Jesus Christ has overcome the grave. I trust the message we read in Matthew chapter 28. And I trust that as he promised to be with his people even to the end of the age, so he is with me. And so when we believe that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead, as the firstborn, it means then that we acknowledge and believe that he has preeminence. It's the purpose statement that Paul says in, in Colossians 1, 18, right? That in everything he might be preeminent. To know, to ascend to and trust the fact that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Means that I have relinquished any sense of autonomy. Autonomy is to be a law unto oneself, to assume the kingship for yourself, and to assume that you are the Lord of your life. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to find life in his name, is to confess that he is the firstborn, which partly means that he is the one who is preeminent. He has the highest position of rank and honor. The firstborn was a a designation of kingship. The one who was the firstborn was the highest. Psalm 89, for example, verse 27 through 29 says this, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him, and I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. You see how firstborn is tied to kingship in the Bible. To confess that Jesus Christ is the first born from the dead. To believe that message. Means that I recognize that Jesus Christ is the highest of the kings of the earth. That he is the king of kings. And that my life belongs to him. That is what it means to believe that Jesus Christ is the first born from the dead. I know it. I assent to the fact and I trust that he is my king. He is the one who reigns and rules over me and I will bring him glory and honor in everything because the purpose for which he has been raised is that in everything he might be preeminent. And while today we look out and see his kingship contested, people rebel against him, people dishonor the name of Christ, and yet we confess that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that title he has won as the firstborn from the dead, that his resurrection that led to his ascension was a kind of coronation in which he has ascended the throne, not here on earth, but over the earth in heaven as he reigns at the Father's right hand today, alive forevermore. The Apostle John tells us in Revelation that he who has has been raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, never to die again, holds in his hand, In the powerful hands of our king, Jesus Christ, who is alive today, he says, are the keys of death and Hades. Not only is he king over our lives, but he is king over even death itself, having been raised from among the dead. You might more literally translate the phrase firstborn um, of the dead simply as firstborn from among the dead. For centuries, people died and continue to die. Even the great servants of God died. Moses, read the ending of Deuteronomy, the great servant of God is buried. Joseph, buried. Joshua, the end of the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, buried and died. And among the dead, none have been powerful enough, none have been able to emerge from it until Christ, the firstborn from among the dead. It's his gospel that does not end in death, but in resurrection. And in his resurrection, he is anointed king. He is established as God's king over all things. And though again he may be rebelled against today, there is coming a day when this king raised from the dead will come again. And that day he comes as the church has confessed for centuries to judge the living and the dead, to exercise his kingship. So a day of reckoning is coming. The Apostle Paul, for example, when he is in Athens, he's walking in the Areopagus and he sees how the people there are quote-unquote religious. And he begins to preach to them and proclaim to them, That the time of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he has proclaimed and declared a day that he will judge the nations. And the reason Paul says that we are to have confidence in this reality is because he raised Christ from the dead. the Apostle Paul proclaimed that reality some 2,000 years ago, so that same message is proclaimed today. Times of ignorance God has overlooked, they have ended. Today is a day to repent, to turn from our sins, and to acknowledge Jesus Christ as King. And the good news is that those who have acknowledged that reality find in Christ the King, the risen King, not for him to be a hard man, not for his rule to be oppressive, but they find in his reign true freedom. They they find in his reign joy unending. They find in his reign true rest for their souls. To acknowledge Christ as king is to come into true living. It's to live again. It's to find new life. And so first we are then to believe in Christ, the firstborn from the dead. Secondly, belonging to to the firstborn from the dead. What an incredible statement to make, a marvelous statement. I wonder, think of the implications of what it means to belong to the firstborn from the dead. Right, you might have friends in high places, right? That kind of phrase, right? Friends of great position and power in this world. And, and there's something nice about that, right? There's perks, there's privileges. They can get things done, they can get things for you well, what does it mean that you belong to the firstborn from the dead? That you belong to the one who has power over death itself, who holds in his hands the keys of death and Hades. Paul proclaims this reality. He says, speaking of Christ, not only that he is the firstborn from the dead, but right before that, in Colossians 1.18, he says that he is the head of the church, the head of the body, the church. And the metaphor here is simply a human person, right? They have a head and they have a body. And the head is is that, at least according to their view of the human person, the head is that which controls and governs the body. It's attached to the body. It directs it. It leads it. The church is those who play. follow the leader in a not in just a merely playful sense, but with Christ who is our head. And our head is the firstborn from the dead. Who is it that receives the blessings and the benefits of belonging to the firstborn from the dead? It's the church. Because the church is the body of Christ, the firstborn from the dead. And so as we belong to Christ, um, we ourselves experience the power of, of Jesus Christ as one raised from the dead. It means that his life now flows, in a sense, into ours. That his life controls ours. Notice what Paul says uh, later in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3. He says, uh, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life, the life of the church, is hidden with Christ in God. It's why Paul later, when he talks about, uh, earlier rather, when he talked about entering into the kingdom, we had read this verse, verse 13 and 14, He had said that God has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He doesn't say in which we have redemption, but in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Entrance into the kingdom is to be in Christ by faith. So when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are in him. And therefore, our lives are to be marked and to be controlled by the life of Christ as we, are, as we belong to him. Resurrection life belongs to the church today. That's why Paul exhorts the church elsewhere to walk in the newness of life, no longer enslaved to sin and the ways of this world, but now the newness of life before us. For Christ, the risen King, has sent his spirit that we might be in him and he in us, and that we might then walk in obedience and in the ways that do not belong to this world, but to, the, to God's world to come. We then need to understand ourselves in terms of the magnitude of all of the implications that Christ is the firstborn from the dead. We must know then ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. We must know ourselves as those who have followed Christ into death, into life. And therefore, the old man is to be put to death, the new man is to come to life. And as we live our lives, we live our lives as if we see them through the very eyes of Christ. Some of you uh, who are um, are members, of course, but we sent it out in our email chain, but some of you might have seen on our Facebook page um, as well how our own production team CNm Chadi Nicole Michelle, um, <laughs> they put together uh, these uh, these wonderful uh, devotions uh, from Good Friday, yesterday being uh, Saturday, the day of rest and then um, and then this resurrection Sunday and I was absolutely blown away by the pictures that the artists in our congregation, Juliet, had done yesterday's uh, Sterling had done Friday. And uh, Melissa, wherever she is, did uh, today's. And they were all, if you've seen them, they're really incredible and very thankful for them. And it was, this morning I was thinking about uh, the picture that Melissa had drawn. And if you've seen it, it's a picture um, f- viewing looking outside of a tomb in which the stone has been rolled away and the light begins to dawn. It is to capture, through the eyes of Christ, his day of resurrection. A new day is dawning. And and it dawned on me, I don't know if this was Melissa's point, but I thought it was absolutely incredible because I was thinking about that in terms of how not only are we given just to see how Christ looked out, but we ourselves see things now through the very eyes of Christ, through resurrection eyes. As we look out, we see with the very eyes of Christ a new light dawning. We see through the eyes of Christ all things new and being made new in him. This is how we ought to see. For example, the author of Hebrews tells us this a few uh, books over here in the Bible says this regarding uh, Christ. He says, It was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him, so made lower in his humiliation, in his incarnation. You've crowned him in his resurrection with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We are to look at our lives and the world through the very eyes of Christ, whose eyes themselves are our resurrection eyes as we look upon the new light that has dawned, a new creation that is coming. Christ of which is the first fruits. And so that is what it means that we belong to Jesus Christ. That we have for our head the firstborn from the dead. And those who experience the blessings of the firstborn from the dead belong to him. They are found in his church where there is his life, even eternal life. And so we've seen believing in the firstborn from the dead, belonging to the firstborn from the dead... And lastly, we want to think about the benefits of the firstborn from the dead. What are the benefits of belonging to, he, to him who is the firstborn from the dead? Well, Paul draws out a number of them in the verses in, in here in Colossians. And the first benefit that Paul draws out, we'll consider just four of them briefly. But the first benefit is that in Christ there is a new beginning. The firstborn from the dead commences a new beginning. New beginnings are often what we look for in life. A new start. A new way of going about things. And here the Apostle Paul proclaims that Christ himself is the beginning. Well, the beginning of what? The beginning of God making all things new. That's what the resurrection puts into motion the beginning of God making all things new. We feel every day the creation groaning and we join it. We hear of horrific earthquakes, we hear of horrific shootings. We see injustices all around us and we cry out for something new. We cry out for things to be restored, things to be made as they're supposed to be, we feel in ourselves creation groaning. And the Apostle Paul declares that in the firstborn from the dead, the first benefit is that there is a new beginning. That Christ commences the new creation in which all things will be made new. In which pain and death and tears will be done away with. And joy unending will be the portion, the lot of God's people forevermore. And so the creation of groaning meets the firstborn from the dead who commences a new creation. And this new creation, Christ, this making all things new, God will complete when Christ comes again and the last enemy death is fully vanquished and destroyed all of its effects and consequences done away with and we will enjoy our god forever and ever you see what paul proclaims is not just the making of all things new but the making of all things new by the firstborn from the dead because the true desire for things to be made new is a desire that has as its substance Christ himself, who is the beginning of the new creation, the first fruits of a harvest of new creation to come. We do not think upon the making of all things new apart from the firstborn from the dead. We look to Christ and trust him. And so though we feel the creation groaning, and though we feel its heavy effects upon us day after day yet we have hope because Jesus Christ is the first born from the dead he has commenced God's program of making all things new and none can stay his hand none can prevent him from accomplishing his purposes he will do it Christ guarantees it what power could stand against God, to prevent it. Death itself has been overcome. Christ, the firstborn from the dead, commences God's process, his program of making all things new. Second benefit is that there is a new glory that we can pursue. We're all glory hunters. We're all looking for glory. The praise of men... Power, position, we're all looking for glory. Our lives are, are, are made that way, that we're directed towards glory. The problem is that in our sin, we've pursued the glory that is fading and temporary. We've exchanged the glory of the creator for the glory of created things. And in Christ, we are again, as the firstborn from the dead, redirected to glory that is permanent and unfading. It is the glory of Christ, that in everything he might be preeminent. It's that glory that you were made for. You can pursue the glory of this world and you may obtain it, but it fades. And it's gone very, very quickly. But the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ is a glory that does not fade, it is a glory that remains forever. And again, when we look to Christ as our king and acknowledge him as the firstborn from the dead, as those who belong to him, we recognize that he is a gracious king who has great glory and he shares that glory with his people. That's why Paul says, you had read earlier in Colossians 3, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That is the glory that God has put before us the glory of the firstborn from the dead. And so there is the making of all things new, there is glory, and there is also friendship. Friendship with God. Paul says in Colossians 1:19 and following here that the fullness of God dwelt in Christ bodily. The image here, we don't have time to open all of it up, but the image here is of the temple as God filled the temple in the Old Testament, so Christ, the true temple of God, where he would dwell with his people, Christ is filled with the presence of God. And the temple testified to God's friendship with his people. It was his covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. No longer do God's people gather around a temple on earth for Christ is the true temple of God. We gather around him who is in heaven and in Christ as we gather to him we find in him the friendship of God Augustine long ago had said this in his opening uh, in the opening prayer of his confession a famous work he had said you have made us praying to God you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you to a restless world God gives this promise I will be your God and you will be my people. And he fulfills it in Jesus Christ, where he brings us to himself to sit at table with him and to enjoy him forever and ever. The covenant friendship of God, to be God's people, for him to be our God, is fulfilled only in Jesus Christ. And until we come to Christ, our hearts will forever remain restless. But Christ invites us back into the friendship of God and that as the firstborn from the dead, he has made it possible because it's what our, our sins are what has kept us from God. Our sins brought enmity between God and us and that Christ has paid for them and has been raised from the dead means that friendship has been established between us and God again, that we might have true rest. So the benefits of belonging the first born from the dead is that the process of making all things new has commenced. That also there is true glory that we can pursue. And we have, again, friendship with God. And finally, there is, as, as Paul says, the final benefit, peace with God as well. It ties into friendship, but there is also peace with God. Where he says that Christ has, has brought reconciliation between us and God by the blood of his cross. This cross removed the enmity between us and God that he might make us whole again. The peace that the Bible offers to us is not merely just peace of the soul, of the conscience, but it's a sense of wholeness, of being restored to our destiny, being restored to whom God, who God has made us to be. And we are only, that only takes place when we come to Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead. In him, all things are being made new. In him, there is a glory that we can pursue that is permanent and unfading. In him, we find friendship again with God. Him as our God, us as his people. And in the firstborn from the dead, there is true peace, true wholeness to our lives. And so I mentioned at the beginning that we're all following someone. Our lives are all headed somewhere. And so I would encourage you and exhort you and urge you that if you have not laid down your life to follow Christ, to do so today. Because to follow Christ is to follow him into his kingdom, the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins, in whose kingdom the power of death has been broken. And we will forever enjoy our God in the brightness of his glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, what a joy it is that you have, through your gospel message, delivered those of us here out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we pray that he who is the firstborn from the dead would receive all glory and honor, that we would know him, that we would trust him, and that we would come to belong to him by faith alone. Father, may we also then rejoice and give him glory for the great benefits that are only found in him, and we pray then that we would live according to his new life, the resurrection life, seeing all things through his eyes, and looking forward to the day fully dawning. When he comes again, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.